Welcome to Geared for Growth. Today, a real focus on South Australia and specifically Adelaide property. We've got the founder and owner of DT Property Management, David Traeger. We have a chat to David about his own property investing story, but he gives us a great lay of the land in Adelaide and where property investors are active. He works with a lot of interstate property investors and shares some great advice on some of the areas and some of the opportunities for renovation projects and set and forget investments. It's a great interview with David, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. Here he is. David Traeger, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure to have you on, David, and we're going to cast the spotlight, I guess, on Adelaide and South Australia today, which I think is a bit overdue for this podcast. But for people that haven't heard of you, David, can you let us know who you are and what you specialize in? Uh, So I started uh, DT Property Management, which is a property management only uh, firm, uh, which services majority of the Adelaide metro area, and now also recently uh, a portion of uh, the Gold Coast as well. Beautiful. This sort of doesn't seem like the most obvious place to expand to from Adelaide. What What's the reasoning there? Uh, that'll come about because um, a colleague of mine in the property management industry um, let me know that her boss was looking to retire, and so I basically um, took them over and kept her on as an employee, and uh, that worked out really well in transition because all of the landlords already sort of knew her and loved her. Beautiful. And Gold Coast is certainly getting a lot of attention as a very good place to be in Australia right now. What uh, what posters were on the bedroom wall growing up, David? Um, I guess being an 80s child, my teenage years were through the 90s. Uh, and so I guess at that stage, it was all uh, all the Chicago Bulls stuff. Um, right. Oh, that's the golden era too. They were uh, they were very dominant through that, through that uh, duration. And I was a key basketballer at the time. Um, so, you know, it was uh, easy to follow the winning team, I guess. And you've uh, been enjoying that uh, Netflix documentary, I, I assume? Yeah, that was very interesting just to get a bit of an insight into, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, that was a that was a cracker. I wonder if there's going to be any other similar style series. Um, what about property, David? How did you first get started in property and what was your first investment? Um, so when I was in... Uh, university early 2000s um i sort of stumbled upon some books in the university library on property investment and read those and and liked those and as i read them i sort of got addicted and and liked the idea and went on to read more and more of them um at the time i worked in a in a torture call center earning not very much um and sort of like the idea of you know having uh, rental properties and so did all the overtime that I could uh, took on all the weekend shifts that I could um, to, to save up a deposit and end up buying uh, my first property uh, at 21 in WA uh, where I was living at the time beautiful can you tell us a little bit about it what sort of style of property it was uh, so it was only a few years old sort of property um, in a suburb of Clarkson which is I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, WA but it's quite up sort of outer northern suburbs of WA, of Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a newish sort of property. Um, I lived in it for the first sort of, uh, I think it was six months to get qualified for the homeowner's grant. Um, nice. Bought it for a 197, I think it was at the time. And um, 
and then sort of moved out after that time and, and you know, rented it out for a few years after that. Yep. Still got it? I don't. I, I sold it in, uh, I think it was about 2008 at the peak of the market over there at about 370000 um, oh. which then became deposit for um, some Adelaide properties. Adelaide at the time was uh, a fair bit cheaper than the other cities. Um and me not earning very much at the time meant that, you know, I was able to, to buy a couple over in Adelaide, um, you know, for, from WA. Sounds like you got out the perfect time too, of course. Now, David, you're you're an investor and developer outside your normal nine-to-five running DT property management. Can you sort of share the investment story, let's say picking it up from when you decided to, to go to go into Adelaide and, and, um, and, and sort of launch from there? Yeah, I guess so. Um, having having bought a, a couple of properties in in Adelaide using that uh, you know proceeds from the WA one, um, over time you know my career got better in IT, and which enabled me to buy some more properties in Adelaide, and you know had property managers for those because I was still living in WA. Um, and around the same time, I met my current partner who was actually from Canberra. And her and I decided to move to Adelaide together for a couple of reasons. One of those was um, both of our families are originally from Adelaide, but also because um, I was tired of the property managers that I had looking after my Adelaide properties and figured I could do a better job myself. <laughs> a lot of businesses start that way, I think. Yeah, I think so. Just um, having learnt from being on the customer side of the, of the deal, um, what's actually meant to be done and what's sort of expected uh, from an investor is, you know, what I've then wanted to try and provide to others that are in a, you know, a similar situation. That's a, an interesting point. It seems to me obvious that the best property manager would be an investor or someone that understands the investor's journey. But, but PMs technically, they, they aren't generally, or let's say as an average, investors themselves, are they? I think majority aren't. There's a few that are. Um, and I don't really think it's a prerequisite either, um, but I think it has really helped me in just sort of understanding, um, you know, all the highs and lows of, of property investment because we've, you know, been through some of those situations ourselves. Let's talk about some of the highs. Um, so you got you got into the development side of things. I'm interested to sort of hear where, where you're at, sort of what the what the plan is for your portfolio. Is this sort of an end goal in mind? Um, so we just did the one uh, property development where we bought a block, um, split it in half, built a house on each side, and um, you know rented each side out and kept both sides as rentals. And I still have the same tenants from five years ago when I did that. Beautiful. Uh, um, since then, um, we've been selling off a couple of our properties to pay off debt and that allows hopefully in the future for, you know, the rental income to exceed, you know, the outgoings and hopefully lead to a retirement one day. Yep. Beautiful. We're all, we're all going for the same thing, I suppose. Um, have you been mostly active in Adelaide or, or are you sort of looking further afield? It's mostly been Adelaide. Uh, I mean, I kept my previous home in, in WA as a rental and uh, my partner kept her previous home in, in Canberra as a rental, uh, but the rest of the rentals are in Adelaide. We have certainly looked, you know, in other places. We looked at, um, you know, Brisbane and a couple of other places that were 
doing good for a, for a while there um, to invest in. And to be honest, we just kept coming back um, to Adelaide. Let's put Adelaide to the side for a moment. With your your business, um, it sort of seems like the marketing's a bit bit of a sort of for investors, buy investors style st- setup. Now, of course, you said that being a an investor is not a prerequisite for property managers, but d- do you think that's a a real competitive difference for your brand? Yeah, I think it is um, because I've I've been there and done that, you know, a bit myself and. You know, I've been through, you know, the joys of, you know, completing a renovation or completing a development and getting either a good sale price or a good, you know, bank revalue, um, but also the lows of, you know, being abused by tenants or evicting tenants, etc. Uh, and so mm. I think having been through those gives me a, you know, a platform from which I can advise others pretty well from rather than um, all the standard things that property managers already do. Also, you know, lend a hand on what people are, what people are thinking of doing. Um, you know, I've had people come to me and say, you know, I'm thinking of looking at this property, and you know, I've been able to advise them on, no, that's actually in a really bad pocket, or um, sure, but just add this particular feature to it, and you know, it'll rent for heaps more because you know, I've been in those situations myself. Yeah. Uh- I guess it's a, it's a different approach that you've had. In, I mean, you were an investor, you were unhappy with your service and you thought I'll do better rather than the sort of traditional real estate model, which is to either start a brand or take up a franchise and do the PM and the sales uh, side of things. You, you don't have a sales side of your property management business, is that right? That's correct. Um, and that's basically because I just wanted to focus on doing one thing and doing that one thing properly. And I think in a lot of combined uh, sales and rental type agencies one or the other can suffer a little just from trying to do both things yep i always talk about the um press one for sales and two for property management it's a clear it's a clear expression of which one is the highest valued in that organization right quite often the rental department is either the babysitters of the properties until they're ready to sell or is, you know, just a backfit or while they're, you know, to pay the, you know, the agency's sort of running costs, you know, while they're running glorified sort of sales department. Um, I'm happy doing, you know, just one thing and doing that one thing properly um, without adding that extra complexity or, you know, additional people to the mix. That being said, how many sales agents are getting in touch with you saying, David, if any of your investors want to sell, I'm, I'm your person? I get that a lot, um, <laughs> as you can probably imagine. Um, and, you know, we have over time picked out sort of the better ones that we, you know, do refer people to when, you know, that situation does arise. Um, but at the same time, I want to make sure that they're quality people as well because I don't want to be in a situation where we're referring someone on and they do a bad job and have that reflect back on back on me. Yeah, of course. Now, property management's been I guess a bit of a, a bit of a changing space or at least there's been a bit of a buzz around a couple of key new entrants. I'm thinking brands like Different and your Bonza which have, you know, different models or or flat fee and they're they're more of a I guess a, a piecemeal style setup. What's your view on these these platforms and what sort of tech do you think 
is coming through that will be here to stay. So we've obviously seen things like purple bricks come, um, but there's 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 things that I think the industry can do better that will stick. What, what's your view there? So I think quite a lot of those have come and gone over the years, and I think a few of those that claim to be disruptors will continue to come and go. Uh, a lot of them run quite a, a cheap uh, sort of model, and their only point of difference is really their price. But you really got to think about what you're getting for that price. Um, a couple of those are, are really just a call centre in Philippines somewhere that their landlords and tenants call, but don't actually have any expertise in the local market or in how to invest in property or you know real estate really in general. Uh, and so I think you know even at the the difference in in price that those agencies might be to a traditional agency, I think people are still looking for service, still looking for expertise. And so I think, you know, those perhaps they have a place, but I don't think that they'll ever actually fully disrupt. Is there anything in sort of the prop tech scene for property managers that's that's coming that you think will be there to stay? Like, you know, having portals to log in to see all of the details. I'm guessing there's a bit of there's a lot of software um behind the scenes that that maybe will change the way property management works yeah i think there's quite a few of those um some of those are different types of portals as you've mentioned and i think that's just because people are keen to always have at their fingertips you know where where things are up to and what's the latest um you, you know status on on their property or you know what's whether the maintenance stuff has been done and all that sort of thing um but also we're doing a lot of uh virtual tours recently and that enables us to put a 3D tour of a property online that's available for rent, and then people can have a look through it that way rather than, well, not rather than opens, we're still doing the opens, but, you know, as an additional way for people to see the properties online, uh, which can speed up the, you know, the rental process, which in turn reduces the, the vacancy time as well. Yeah, I guess that could be a bit of a triage too, right? Because you might not necessarily get much of a feel from the photos. You do the 3D tour and then the tenant might or prospective tenant might say, look, this is not quite what we're after. And then you don't have the the time investment to show them through a property which fundamentally wasn't suited in the first place. That's right. We're looking for, you know, a quality versus quantity, I guess. If, if people are uh, actually liking the property, then, you know, we're happy to show them through, the, through it in person. And that yeah. way, we're actually um, dealing directly with the target market rather than people who get there and say, well, this work, this layout doesn't work for me or these colours don't work for me or this size doesn't or whatever the case may be. I wanted to ask you how important a good property manager is. I, I guess it, it seems like a silly question to ask and you being a property manager, I assume you'd say that it is very important. But for a lot of properties that sort of tick along, is it only important to have a good PM when there's a potential problem or, or a crisis? Or, or, you know, give us give us your breakdown on that. I think a good property manager is pretty vital. And as you say, I'm probably a little bit biased there. Um, but, you know, a property can, can sure tick along until it doesn't. There's always situations that come up. We've had properties that have had you know, a perfect tenant in them for two years and then, you know, the tenant's ex-boyfriend finds out where they live and starts domestic violence stuff or, uh, you know, something like that and only a good property manager knows how to sort out that situation and, the, and then deal with all the uh, upcoming uh, 
you know, repairs or insurance needs or, or things like that just to keep emotion out of it and, you know, systematically work through those issues. Um, whereas a, a private uh, landlord, I think, would, would get, you know, caught up in that situation um, a lot more readily than a experienced property manager would. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm sure some of the stuff you've had to deal with would uh, make the back of my hair turn on end. Yeah, um, unfortunately. Um, I mean, we don't sort of wish any of these situations upon anyone, but, um, you know, that does happen from time to time. And, um, you know, you want someone who can, you know, unemotionally and systematically work through those issues for you. Now that we have sort of opened Pandora's box a little bit, I'm sure that there would be listeners kind of disappointed if we didn't hear one of your horror stories. Have you got anything that immediately springs to mind? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. I guess a bit of a crappy situation for someone was that um, their, their tenant had stopped paying paying rent and we had to go through all that eviction process, which is usually not very good just on its own. Um, but then um, by the time we've gone through, you know, all the, all the court process you have to go through and went to the property to check on it, um, you know, the property was disastrous with um, awful uh, carpets and, and walls and um, damage and uncleanliness and pets left behind and things like that. Oh, um, so having to work through those situations is one thing. Um, so you do all that and then the property was, you know, all fixed up and ready to roll again and arrived there one morning to, to show a potential new tenant through and um, there's water seeping under the front door and so I opened the door to see what that was and it turns out the, the pipe in the vanity had, had burst while it was empty and it flooded the house out. <sighs> Um, the, so then the brand to, new repaired house. Yeah, so then we had to go through the insurance process all over again, which was uh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's a terrible situation. And I guess an example where you want someone on your side who can who can advocate for you with the insurance companies and that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. On, on that on that note, are there any questions or checks that you can share with us to help? when we're interviewing a potential property manager to, to give us a bit of an insight into into selecting the right person? I guess just asking them about how many uh, properties they're looking after. Um, if they're looking after too many, chances are they're a little bit overloaded, burnt out, um, more prone to be making some mistakes. Um, and... I'm sure you've had it yourself a lot of times in the industry how, you know, there's a bit of a revolving door of property managers. You sort of sign up with a company and then they leave and then the next one goes on holidays and then the next one goes on maternity leave and then the next one is burnt out and changed to a different company and yeah. sort of go for a lot of them. And I, and a lot of the times that's due to them just trying to look after too many properties. Yeah. And what is there a – sorry, David. Sorry, go on. Is there a sweet spot for the number of properties? I mean, obviously, the agency wants 
to have as many properties looked after by one person as they can. But what what's that number? Is it around the sort of 150 is manageable? Help us out there. It sort of depends on what the properties are like, where where they're all located and what sort of technology the, the agencies are using. Um, for us, we manage um, more than that fairly easily because of the technologies we use and the structures in, in staff that we use. Um, but also because we're charge a higher sort of fee than some of those cheaper places, we can properly fund, um, you know, well-paid staff and technology and put them through training and that sort of thing. And that sort of ends up being a better result overall. Um, a lot of agencies trying to save costs will then assign more properties per person to bring their, um, you know, their, their revenue over their expenses and at the same time just burning their staff out. Yeah. And is there an easy way to tell if someone is a little bit overcooked? Um, it, it's probably hard to tell from a from a landlord point of view, um, but it'll come down to you know the response times that they're getting. I mean, we guarantee our response times for for that exact reason. And yep. you know, if I hear it all the time, people want to change to us because you know they haven't heard from their property manager in a week, and that's just because they're trying to do too many things. I once um, had someone looking around for somebody to sell their property and I said, why don't you inquire on one of their properties for each of these agents that you've shortlisted and see what happens? Is that is that an accurate way to maybe see how good the property manager is going to represent your property if you sort of inquire as a potential tenant? Yeah, it's possible, um, just to see how quickly they respond. Because um, you can imagine if that was your own property, uh, you'd want you it to be, yeah. If you wanted split, it rented, right? yeah. If you wanted it rented, um, do you need you know someone to respond and and offer to show them through, um, or at least tell them what the process would be, um, so that it can you know get it rented and minimise your vacancy time. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from property managers fielding fake inquiries on their properties, um, but hey, these are potential landlords going with you, so um, I think it's probably worth it. Sure. Let's talk. Um, Let's talk Adelaide and South Australia. I've got to be honest, um, even though we do work in Adelaide a little bit, um, before the National Cabinet hit the news, I couldn't tell you the name of the South Australian Premier. And I think it's a bit of a metaphor for how the, the state is viewed nationally. We hear a lot about, for example, the property market in Sydney and Melbourne, but Adelaide is a little bit of a sort of forgotten cousin. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I agree to a certain extent. Um, a lot of people view Adelaide as, you know, that little sort of country town that doesn't do very much um, and, you know, it sort of has that stereotype a lot and I'm happy to think what they want to think and I'll um, keep on trucking over here, you know what I mean? Is there, is there a bit of a, a sense that, um, I, I don't know, maybe a bit of a defensiveness that some of the regions or, or places like Adelaide might have. They're a little bit sort of annoyed to be overlooked but also quite happy for people from Sydney and Melbourne to stay where they are so that commute times don't blow out and house prices don't explode. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of both there. Um, I think people want, you know, the recognition of, you know, the things the state has achieved but at the same time sort of happy for it to be, um, you know, the, the the lesser traffic, as you say. The hidden secret. Yeah. 
But yeah, well, I mean, Adelaide is a beautiful place, and you know, Barossa Shiraz has got a very special place in my heart. There's a lot to love about Adelaide. Um, can you give us a bit of a lay of the land of of Greater Adelaide, some of the key suburbs and and the, the areas where most investors are active? So there's a few, really. Um... And since we sort of service most of the metro area, I'm happy to give you some advice there. And it sort of depends on what people are looking for as well. Um, in the northeast, well, if you look at a, a map of Adelaide, it's all a bit of a, a grid, really. Um, but along the northeast, there's a, there's a road that goes, you know, directly out from Adelaide called Northeast Road, in fact. And along there is sort of what we sort of determine, well, what we sort of call the Northeast Corridor and suburbs along there have been growing quite well, uh, and that's because of good transport links to the city um, and a lot of infrastructure sort of upgrades recently. Um, shopping centre upgrade, uh, hospital upgrade, um, some transport upgrades as well, and some of those suburbs have grown quite well, and so that's sort of a good option for from a capital growth uh, perspective. Yeah. Um, another option might be for uh, people on a lower budget is down the southern end of Adelaide, um, suburbs like Morfitt Vale, where you can buy properties, you know, in the mid 200s, and wow. they require a bit of renovation. Um, after which, they should give you a call, Mark, and see if they can get some depreciation going there. Um, there you go. <laughs> but then, uh, you know, once you've done those, the, the property rents for, you know, a higher amount because it attracts a better quality of tenant after that. Um, and, you know, you can. Revalue it there and use the equity to, you know, buy more of them. So it's sort of different options depending on, you know, different people are after different things. Yep. What about the the market itself? Adelaide, I think, has been relatively flat for for some time. What's the growth been like historically? I think the growth's actually been fairly decent, and it's quite a steady sort of slower growth. I think uh, Melbourne and Sydney are a lot more sort of volatile, so they do have those big booms and busts, but Adelaide's sort of just um, been the quiet achiever, um, you know, trending along fairly well. Uh, a lot of the stats, I think, don't really reflect that, as well as can be seen, you know, from the ground here. And part of that is because uh, Adelaide has been demolishing a lot of their um, state housing stock and rebuilding new stuff, and so that's held some of the statistics back. But at the same time, people are still, you know, able to retreat, achieve better uh, sale prices on their properties or, you know, bank revaluations on their properties. What's been really quite interesting is the resilience, uh, and we've gone all this way without talking about a pandemic, I think, <laughs> um, but it ha- had to happen eventually. It's just so dominant. Um, what, what do you attribute, attribute the resilience to when other areas are, are actually in decline? Um, I think a good part of why Adelaide's so resilient is because of the lower prices here. Um, so unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of people we're hearing about, you know, that have, you know, unfortunately found themselves in some circumstances that are, they don't necessarily want to find themselves in. Um, so the federal and state government sort of stimuluses and things have helped a lot with that. So they've done a pretty good job on that end. But Adelaide, as opposed to the other cities, being that it's quite a bit cheaper, has meant that a lot of tenants and a lot of owners have been able to hold on to their 
uh, properties just because, you know, even if they do find themselves in that situation, you know, they're not getting too far behind on either their rent or their mortgage um, yeah. simply because it's cheaper and, you know, with the help of the stimulus packages, they're, they're able to hold on. But I guess housing as a as a percentage of, of household income is a lot lower than it is in places like Sydney and Melbourne? Yeah, sure. So if you're, you know, found yourself out of work as a result of this pandemic and, you know, receiving some government benefits, you know, uh, in Adelaide with the average rent of 325 a week versus, you know, in Sydney with average rent of, say, 900 a week, then, you know, that's a different sort of scenario you're facing. Yeah, Absolutely. What are the main drivers for, for property prices in, in Greater Adelaide? Is it about population growth or wages growth or what is it? Um, part of it's been the wages growth and some of that stems from our state government winning some contracts recently. Um, so I'm sure you've heard about you know the submarine and shipbuilding, things like that. There's also the, um, the new spa- space program that's going to be uh, based in Adelaide as well. Um, so I think if Adelaide can keep winning some of these contracts to keep doing some of this work, and I think with um, some of the other states being out of action at the moment, that might help us, um, then hopefully it can keep you know, growing and, and prospering in, in that way. Tourism would have to be a pretty big deal in Adelaide as well, right? Yeah, it does, and that's thanks to our lovely uh, wine regions um, that attract you know, some people over every year. Unfortunately, with the pandemic at the moment, that has slowed down a bit. Um, mm. We're not allowing uh, Victorians in. Um, Nobody is right now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but there's, um, there's some very sophisticated campaigns. I remember there was a, an Adelaide ad with, um, I think it was like a Nick Cave thing. Um, some, yeah, some, some real quality stuff going on there, but yeah, let's, let's hope that domestic tourism, um, is good news for her Adelaide. Obviously there's certain directions or certain borders people will be able to, to cross, but we'll see. Let's get back to, to prices. Um, our, our ears collectively pricked up when you're saying investment properties in the 200s, that's pretty, uh, pretty unheard of for a lot of places around the country, but, for the bread and butter investment grade properties, what sort of prices are we talking and what are the yields like? Um, so the uh, mid-200 sort of properties I mentioned earlier, um, down in the outer southern suburbs, those are the ones that require renovation first to, to get rented. Um, they can rent for about 300 a week afterwards. Um, so that's a pretty what good yield there. To, sorry, Dave, what would you need to spend roughly? It depends on the property. Most of them yeah. um, just require paint and carpets and things like that, and right. some require some repairs as well, depending on you know what the previous people were doing there. Some of them have been uh, you know trashed by previous um, tenants, or some have just been let to to go old by you know elderly uh, owner occupiers. Um, but we've done a couple of those recently where we've helped interstate um, buyers get the properties uh, and and get them uh, you know up and running. Um, as I say, usually just with paint and flooring and, you know, a few repairs here and there. And typically, who are the investors of Adelaide property? Are they locals? Are they interstaters? Do you know what the sort of breakup is? Um, I couldn't tell you the breakup, um, but majority of the more recent ones have all been interstaters. Quite often they're um, Sydney, Canberra or Melbourne people who have, you know, got equity in their own uh, homes or own investment properties over there um, who can then 
you know, leverage that much further into into Adelaide properties where you'd get two here for, you know, what you get one for in those places. Yep. And what sort of properties are they buying typically? Are they buying the ones with a renovation upside? Are they buying a little bit more sort of blue chip, ready to go, you know, reasonable return? Yeah. So I think a lot of the interstaters have got different, you know, uh, strategies or risk profiles or budgets depending on their own circumstances. And so some that have wanted to do those out of service sort of renovation things, we've assisted them with that from afar. Um, but also some people just prefer to get something that, you know, sits and collects rent and doesn't need sort of any work done to it. Those ones are typically buying in that northeast sort of corridor that I mentioned and you can get properties up there for, you know, in, in, for say 350 to 450 sort of bracket. And they would be pretty set and forget, good quality, low sort of maintenance style yeah, properties? Get, get a, yeah, a lot of them are... Um, yeah, the set and forget sort of style properties that rent sort of fairly neutrally. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can just sort of sit on those and, and wait for, you know, capital growth to come in the future. Who are the interstaters using to invest in Adelaide? Are, are people doing their own research and reaching out to people like yourself? Are they using buyer's agents? How does that work? Yeah, some of them use buyer's agents. Um, we also offer a bit of a service where we're not quite buyers agents, but you know, if people have done their own research and, and got a property that they're thinking of buying, you know, I'll go have a look at it for them and send them back some feedback and some photos and a rental appraisal so that they can sort of get a bit of idea of you know what they're buying without the cost of you know travelling to Adelaide. Yep. And for the same sort of money, let, let's say we're we're talking about one of those set and forget style properties that are around the three fifty, four fifty. How does Adelaide compare? Do you think to other areas around the country as a long term investment? I think here the well, firstly, it's hard to buy in that sort of bracket in, in other places. Yeah, it rules out a few locations yes, just by out, virtue of price, right? Yeah, it rules out you know Canberra, Sydney, and Melbourne. Uh, there's probably stuff you know in Brisbane still available in that price bracket. I think the benefit of Adelaide really is because of the better yields here, you can afford to hold on to the property longer. Um, so if the property doesn't cost you too much to hold on to as a result of rental yield and depreciation, then you hold the property for longer, and you know you'll still be around, you know, to capture the you know the year-over-year growth that we're achieving. Yep. And so what are the yields like roughly for properties in that sort of northeastern corridor? Um, they're mostly fairly neutral, sort of around the, you know, four and a half percent sort of mark. Yep. Um, obviously it depends on the property, what sort of features it has, um, what sort of condition it's in. But quite often if people, you know, come to me and link me properties that they're interested in buying, I'm happy to tell them if you know what I might rent for or what features they should probably add add to it if they want to uh, be able to attract a good tenant there. What's the market like now when you look at some metrics like days on market and vendor discounting and that sort of thing? Is it a bit like the rest of the country where there's quite a, a shortage of people wanting to sell so the demand and supply is, is pretty, is pretty um, I guess, flat but potentially actually a seller's market? Yeah, for the sales side, um, I mean, we've been to a couple of home opens ourselves recently, potentially looking at a couple of investment properties and there's always like lots and lots of other people there. And we offered on one just recently and, you know, got offered, out offered by about 60,000. Um, 
yeah, I think there's not a whole lot of stock on market, but the stuff that is there, as long as it's of decent quality, is going extremely quickly. Yeah, wow, sixty thousand. I mean, sixty thousand um, sort of being out by in say um, Bondi at an auction is is nothing. But I'm guessing at the price points that you're looking, and that shows that there's a bit of heat. Mm. This particular particular property we looked at uh, it was a few weekends ago. They were asking, uh, I think it was three forty five and three sixty five. Yeah. Um, we offered at three sixty, uh, and end up selling at four twenty. Wow. Uh, and so it's quite popular that particular property. Yeah, obviously. Um, is that did did someone overpay for that? Do you think? Uh, I think they did, to be honest. Um, yeah. I mean, value was in the eye of the beholder, though. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I guess what's more important than what they paid is what the next person is going to pay for it, or the bank thinks it's worth. Um, that sounds like a little bit, little bit scary. Where do you see the main opportunities for investors that are that are jumping in now um, and able to hold for the next couple of years? If they're able to, if they're able to buy now and able to hold on for a couple of years, then I think it comes down to what their budget is really. I think there's opportunities sort of all the way across at, at different budget levels. Um, as I say, I think as I was saying before, I think the main pockets are either that northeast sort of corridor, or also in the in the western areas where um, those new submariner shipping con- contracts have just been won, and um, you know there's some areas around there where you know some of the workers for that for those new industries will live, um, yeah. and so obviously having some rentals in that area might be beneficial too. Are there opportunities outside of? The areas, but more in the in the strategy. Do you see a lot of potential for people, you know, doing flipping things or subdividing and selling off the back or building something or or small scale developments? I think in Adelaide, there's more potential in renovation than there is in development at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're seeing um, land prices are actually quite high relative to house prices at the moment. Um, so if you've already held a property for a while and you're thinking of selling it, then perhaps, you know, selling in parts might be beneficial over selling it as a whole. Yeah. But to actually buy in now uh, for that sort of purpose, I don't think the numbers stack up. Yeah. Um, what's and the numbers for renovation, I think, do. So I think that is still a, you know, a viable sort of strategy in Adelaide as opposed to, you know, the buy and hold sort of strategy that the majority of people are doing. Yeah. So some of these properties in the south you were talking about, you can get into them for for um, mid two hundreds, spend potentially twenty, thirty grand, and you're going to be having something that's renting for three hundred a week yep. with a with a valuation around three hundred, or is that a bit more of a stretch? Uh, no, I think valuation around three hundred is generally pretty fair. Um, yep. We're working on one right now. Um, the the person bought for two thirty five. And it was one where uh, it was owner-occupied for like, many years and uh, it was a deceased estate. And um, so in that one, we've done some, some carpets, some painting um, and a few repairs that, you know, the previous owners may have uh, neglected for a while that needed fixing up. But, um, yeah, I have no doubt that that one will rent for you know, 300 any day a week once it's, once it's ready. And how much do you think they'll need to, to spend on something like that? Just typically that, you know, you picture a little old lady with the, the dodgy old sort of floral carpets because it's the f- 
fashion from the 1960s. Is it that sort of Renault? Yeah, I think it is. Um, the painters were saying that the wallpaper was coming off in postage stamp size pieces. It was, uh, it'd been stuck on for a while. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the paint job and carpets was, you know, there's a good sort of five grand there. Um, and, uh, you know, there's needed to be some bathroom repairs and gutter repairs and stuff like that. So I don't think he's actually in that one for any more mid-twos and a revalue for 300 perhaps afterwards. Yeah. Wow. Nice work if you can get it. Um, David, if people are wanting to get in touch with you, can you let us know how they can do that? And, and, and maybe it's a good opportunity to talk about some of those sort of due diligence services that you offer to interstate investors as well. Uh, sure. So... We can definitely be contacted by email, Dave at DT Property, that's dtfortangoproperty.com.au, um, or alternatively, follow our Facebook page, DT Property Management. Easy done. Now, David, if there's one piece of advice that you could give to property investors, this could be specific to Adelaide or just in general with your own experience helping landlords and being one yourself, what would that be? I think it's always just to keep a long-term view. Um, I think a lot of people sort of focus on today rather than, you know, 20 years' time when, when their property will actually produce what they want it to. Um, so focus on then, keep your property well-maintained and repaired, and that's what will uh, keep it going through and in turn give you the results you're looking for. Love it. Beautiful advice, David. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. Cheers.